Welcome to State House Soundbites, WITF's Pennsylvania Politics Podcast. I'm Katie Meyer, State Capitol Bureau Chief for WITF. You can hear my reports on public radio stations across the state. With me today is Mark Levy of the AP. Mark, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so a couple large things happened this week. Um, one, and we'll get into this a little bit more later, uh, one representative has gotten a restraining order against another, uh, Representative Nick Micarelli. Um, has been accused of abuse by a woman he dated, uh, fellow Republican representative Tara Tuhill. Uh, so that's been something that has just gotten a lot of attention. So we will get into that. But first, Mark, something you covered in real depth this week was a giant, a small election that had giant coverage, maybe? It, it was sort of like a presidential election in one congressional district. It was a huge amount of attention on this little election, a special election in the 18th congressional district between Democrat Connor Lamb and Republican Rick Saccone. Saccone is a member of the State House. Uh, he is, uh, what is he, a, a Navy vet? He is uh, an Air, uh, former Air Force, Air Force. Uh, counterintelligence officer. He's uh, He has a PhD in, um, I think, international affairs. He's a college professor. Professor, and he has one of the most conservative voting records in the state legislature. And then Connor Lamb, a Democrat, he is a, a young guy. He has not really had a whole lot of political experience. I think he's a, a lawyer by trade. He's 33. He has a law degree. He uh, spent some time in the Marines as a lawyer in the Marines, and then he became a, a, a federal prosecutor in Pittsburgh. Okay. A pretty moderate Democrat. Uh, he is sort of, you know, that kind of old school blue dog Democrat pro. Uh, he says he's personally pro-life, but will vote pro-choice, I suppose, uh, kind of a pro-gun guy. Um, so, And we can get into the records a little bit later, but um, what happened in this election? We are, <laughs> Connor Lamb kind of won? Uh, from all, for all intents and purposes, it appears that he won. Yeah. Um, he, he, right now, he has a 627-vote lead. Um, yeah. Votes are actually being counted today. This is Friday. Um, some of the... Uh, some of the provisional ballots are being sorted through. Some of the uh, military and overseas ballots that have arrived by mail are being sorted through. There's four counties in this district. More than 228,000 votes were cast, so that is a very, very small percentage lead that he has. Uh, votes will be done counted um, Tuesday night. But um, Connor Lamb has declared victory. Rick Saccone has not conceded. Uh, Republicans, uh, the uh, National Republican Congressional Committee, the State Republican Party are looking at filing a lawsuit over what they perceive as irregularities. Uh, they're considering asking for a recount. They've already had a law firm contact the counties, but um, I can't find any election lawyer or county official who can recall any sort of recount that ever changed a vote count by more than a few votes. I mean, yeah. certainly not by 600 some odd votes. Interesting. And so I also, because I think there was some confusion about the laws on recounts in Pennsylvania. In statewide elections, if it's less than 0.5 of a percentage point, there's an automatic recount. But in this case, it's not statewide. So you would have to get like, what, three petitions for every electoral district or something like that? Right. So if you want to recount in a particular precinct, uh, a you precinct. need you need three uh, voters from there to petition. Uh, so if they want every precinct, that's a ton of petitions. It's a ton of voters. So they can probably pick and choose um, districts that they think uh, maybe were looked looked unusual to them or where Connor Lamb had an unusually high percentage or there was unusually large turnout. Um, that might be a strategy. Okay. So um, 
getting into the significance of this election, uh, because so you were out in Pittsburgh. Um, I don't know. Did it feel like a presidential election to you? A it little did. Bit? It felt very much like a presidential election. Um, it, it, you sort of squeezed within a few weeks within a small piece of territory. There was roughly, uh, my account is about $15 million spent over the course of about eight weeks on this uh, election, most of it by Republicans, by national Republican groups to try to save Rick Saccone. Right. This is, the extraordinary thing about this is that this is a district drawn by Republicans for Tim Murphy, the man who resigned in October. It uh, has a uh, very influential uh, labor unions. Uh, for the, uh, the There's a traditional uh, coal mining and, and steel making uh, industries there. It has some, uh, 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 some affluent suburbs south of Pittsburgh. Uh, this is all in the southwestern corner of Pennsylvania, but uh, Donald Trump uh, mopped up in that in that mm-hmm. district in 2016 by 20 percentage points over Hillary Clinton. So the idea that a Democrat would win it um, was unthinkable a few months ago. But as the campaign picked up and voters seemed to like uh, Connor Lamb, he was raising a lot of money and he was taking centrist positions on certain hot button issues, um, and it. Um, It all came down to a very, very, very close election, and uh, the result has sent shockwaves through Republicans nationwide as they look ahead to midterms and try to hold on to their congressional majorities. And just to perseverate a little bit on, like, how much effort Republicans put in, Donald Trump was there multiple times. Yes. Donald Trump Jr. was there at a chocolate factory. Yes. Um, you know, wearing a hairnet. Wearing a hairnet, because you gotta. So the Republicans were all there, and you said this was an effort to help Rick Saccone. Why did Rick Saccone need so much help? You know, um, there's been some finger pointing in the late stages of the election when it became clear that uh, this was going to be uh, very close. And um, we've we've heard from, um, for instance, the the folks at the Super PAC connected to Republican House Speaker Paul Ryan that there's only so much they can do to save uh, a candidate when the candidate is struggling to raise money and get their own message out. Uh, Rick Saccone struggled to raise money. He's never run for Congress before. Of course, Connor Lamb hasn't either. But um, the Democrats have uh, sort of a a better system set up for funneling um, campaign contributions to an individual candidate that doesn't involve going through the party. Why is that? Is it just like they're set up differently? It's... As, as Republicans describe it to me, it's it's something that their party doesn't really bless because they want the money coming to them. There's a, a streamlined, uh, I think it's called Vote Blue uh, online, that, that lets people give to candidates from all over the country. And that, that helped Connor Lamb raise money. He he ran a very slick campaign. He ran he ran a good campaign. Um, at times they struggled to keep up with the, the media attention, but... He took um, probably a handful of positions that were very important to blunting Republican criticism. For instance, he said, I personally am opposed to abortion, um, but he also opposes legislation that would further restrict abortion. He said, I oppose uh, more forms of gun control, such as a a ban on assault weapons or um, high-capacity ammunition magazines. Um, but he did say, I'm, a, I'm in favor of expanded background checks. Right. That, that position is identical to Pat Toomey, the Republican U.S. Senator in Pennsylvania. Right. He said, I won't vote for 
Nancy Pelosi to be the Democratic House Speaker. That was a key line of attack uh, in this campaign. Republicans said he'll be Nancy Pelosi's uh, lackey in Congress. So while Republicans were talking about that, Connor Lamb was talking about, you know, infrastructure. He was talking about defending health care and, and getting health care for people. And um, and uh, voter after voter I interviewed out there liked him. They they said he's fresh faced. They wanted something new. Even people who voted for Donald Trump liked him. Yeah, he kind of looks like a lost Romney son or something. So that doesn't hurt. Um, now Rick Saccone was <laughs> he? Uh, okay, so Rick Saccone now uh, he really was billing himself as Donald Trump before Donald Trump. You know yes. what I mean? Like he that was a line that he used. I was Trump before Trump was Trump. Yep. I think is the exact quote. And I mean to his credit, he is a notably and sort of vocally conservative, uh, socially conservative person yes. in the house. But do you think that that I don't want to ask you to like, you know, hypothesize too much, but could that have hurt him that close allegiance, close tie to Donald Trump? It's not clear to me that that hurt him necessarily. Sure. I th- I know what hurt him definitively, and I heard this from voters, is he uh, has some very serious anti-union positions that he's taken in the state legislature. This is a district, remember, drawn by Republicans for Tim Murphy, the man who resigned in a scandal in October. Tim Murphy was a pro-union Republican, as one uh, retired union carpenter who was voting for Connor Lamb told me. Tim Murphy used to march with us in our Labor Day parade, and this union carpenter voted time and time again for Tim Murphy. All the unions voted for Tim Murphy. He never had a close election in eight uh, elections in that district, or at least in that seat. Um, The last two elections, he didn't have have a Democratic opponent. So we heard time and time again from labor union members who had voted for Tim Murphy that they were voting for Connor Lamb. The unions were united behind Connor Lamb. They were energized behind Connor Lamb. Uh, even the mine workers union endorsed Connor Lamb. They sat out the 2016 election between Clinton and Trump. They didn't endorse anybody. They were solidly behind Connor Lamb. Now, whether they're all of their you know rank and file voted for Connor Lamb... Uh, you know, we don't necessarily know. I mean, sur- sure. surely some of them voted for Saccone, but uh, it is noteworthy the number of union members who crossed over to vote uh, for Connor Lamb after voting for Murphy and voting for Trump. And so then I think that's a point that needs to be made because this election, it did become a very national election. But at the end of the day, national issues are not what was going to decide this. Or maybe they were going to you know, play a role, but, mm. you know, this is a... It's a local election. It's a it's a congressional election. So yeah. I think people tend to, you know, make sweeping judgments about like what does this mean for Trump? What does this mean for the Democrats? But you know, you can't always glean something that's going to have national implications from an election like this. Pennsylvania is a weird state as yes, well. That should be it said. It is. It is a fascinating state. And so I think there are national and district issues that sure. that are at play here. For instance, the union vote going so heavily for Connor Lamb. Um, when it used to go for Tim Murphy and when it it may have gone strongly for Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, that That's one sort of local uh, phenomenon. Uh, but the, the steel tariffs, the steel workers in that district paid very close attention to Connor Lamb's position on the steel tariffs. Connor Lamb is in favor of them. Rick Saccone's in favor of them. Donald Trump's in favor of them. Uh, it, that was an issue where Connor Lamb 
strayed from um, probably most of Congress to support something that was very important to people there. So then that kind of brings me to the next thing I think we should talk about. This district's going to be gone really soon. Uh, The 18th Congressional is getting dissolved into the 14th and the 17th, is that right? And so the 14th is going to be much more Republican, and that's the bulk of this district as it is currently. And then the 17th is going to be a little bit more moderate. But that has an incumbent, Tim Rothman, right? So Keith Rothfuss. Keith Rothfuss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who did I, I like? Combine six different people there. That's right. That was um, very artful. Yeah, well, you know. So what happens now? So uh, neither Rick Saccone nor Connor Lamb live in the southwesternmost district under the new map. That's the one that does not have an incumbent. Right. Rick Saccone is uh, planning to get on the ballot there. Uh, and he may move into the district. You don't have to live in the district to run for it, but it's a big political liability in yeah. theory if you don't. So he, it's a very Republican-friendly district, yeah. uh, more Republican-friendly than uh, the one that uh, Rick Saccone just ran in against Connor Lamb. Connor Lamb lives in a new district that's west of Pittsburgh uh, in which Keith Rothfuss, the three-term Republican House member, lives. So uh, presumably Connor Lamb will challenge... Uh, Keith Rothfuss. Of course, Connor Lamb will have to get through a Democratic primary first. There are at least three, maybe more people uh, planning to run there. A couple of them have filed with the FEC. Uh, Maybe Democrats will try to clear the field for Connor Lamb. Sure. So basically, we can still have Congressman Rick Saccone. In fact, I would almost say that seems like a not unlikely thing to happen at this point. He's got a lot of name recognition and a clear shot at a very conservative district. Um, Connor Lamb's path is interesting. He's been elected to Congress. Now he has to go through a primary. Now, I, I think just based on like how this new district breaks down, he's obviously more liberal than Rothfuss, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. can he get through this primary? Well, you know, we'll have to see if there is a primary. Right. Um, Republicans talked quite a bit about how Connor Lamb was able to take centrist positions right. because he didn't have a primary that would force him to the left. And now he's taken those positions. Can he walk them back? Can he say, uh... Great questions. And, um, you know, his centrist positions didn't seem to bother the Democrats who came out and voted for him. So people who were very concerned about um, gun violence Mm -hmm. and and want uh, more strict forms of gun control understood that Connor Lamb um, has said that he's against more strict forms of gun control, uh, notwithstanding an expansion of background checks. But they voted for him anyway. Um, and so the the new district that he would run in, where Keith Rothfuss lives, the, the, the Republican is described to me by Republicans as essentially a toss-up. Mm. It was narrowly won by Donald Trump. If it had existed in the 2016 election, Donald Trump would have narrowly won it. Um, but uh, otherwise, it is described to me as a toss-up. So then uh, <laughs> this, whole, this whole thing is almost like... Stupid, because mm. this is an election for in a district that no longer exists. We but could easily see next year Congressman Rick Saccone and no Connor Lamb in Congress. Right. That, that's how unusual this is. Right. It's crazy. Um, do you think a lot of people knew that going into this vote? You know, it's hard to tell what people knew. Um, voters uh, who don't pay close attention to this stuff are often confused by, you know, the... These, you know, where are, are they in the district? Yeah. Are they voting for a U.S. senator or a U.S. House member? Are they voting for someone for the state legislature or Congress? They, it, it's difficult. Yeah. Um, um, oh, that was actually there was a, a 
question I wanted to ask, because I saw people saying this on Twitter. Um, a lot of Republicans have been sort of complaining about the congressional redistricting that we've had to deal with, and they're saying, oh, it's going to confuse people. Now, people are often confused during elections if they don't pay close attention and then yep. something becomes very high profile. Do you think... Did you get a sense? Were you able to tell whether or not, like, the congressional redistricting added to the confusion on the ground? Um, that's a good question. I wasn't. It wasn't something I was paying attention to. Mm. Um, I was mostly interested in who was voting and why they yeah. were voting for who they were voting for. But uh, Republicans are looking at that closely as part of a potential lawsuit. Yeah. Um, but uh, it is a fact that there is voter confusion every election, no matter what. Um, I yeah. mean, you, all you have to do is go to the Philadelphia area when people are seeing TV ads from three different states for state house uh, positions, for congressional positions, for right. president, for well, U.S. Senate. Well, I'm thinking, Senate. like, if I'm somebody who's over near the 18th and have been hearing about this for months, and I'm like, I can probably vote in this election. There were people clear across the state who were hearing <laughs> for it and went went out to vote, not realizing it was for one house district and not a statewide election. Okay. That's so, I mean, that's the thing. So I've heard a lot of people being like, well, the redistricting just confused more. People are going to be confused no matter what. They are. Uh, it may have caused more confusion. I'm not here to say that it didn't, but it's hard to prove that. So then um, another thing, and we talked about this a little bit before, but just the national connotations of this election. Um, I think people get very uh, just really gung-ho about predicting what this election is going to portend. Um, how much can we glean from this in terms of like how Republicans are going to do going forward? There's no question that Democrats are energized. Yes. Um, I've been spreadsheeting the, the precincts and their performance in this election compared to the 2016 election, Trump versus Clinton. And there's no question that Democratic districts were far more energized in this election than Republican districts. Um, we met uh, first-time volunteers working on the, the Lamb campaign, people who were just kind of felt called to get involved and do something because of, the, because of their anger over Donald Trump. There were people who are organizing uh, a little Democratic Party in their town for the first time where there had been no sort of Democratic organization at that level. So there's no question that there is uh, tremendous energy from Democrats to come out and vote. And that is clearly going to be replicated nationwide. Um, but this district also had its unique characteristics, and Connor Lamb outmaneuvered Rick Saccone in taking advantage of those. Yeah, and I think just kind of to put a coda on that, I, I, even you can see this when you look at like state house and senate races. Uh, we've gotten sort of the dockets, the the slates of candidates for those, and. Democrats are running a candidate in all but one Senate seat that's up for re-election this year. They've got like 180 candidates running for the House, which is, I believe, a record. I think the previous one was 175 in 2006. So, I mean, clearly there's a lot of candidates. Obviously mm -hmm. not all those candidates are going to be viable, but... Uh, it, just, it seems like Democrats are having great success at least getting people on the ground and mobilizing from a grassroots level. Does yeah, that and that, 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 is, that is a perfect sign of it, that you have all these first-time candidates coming out. Um, Even for non-competitive races. Yeah. So, um, all right, all good stuff. Anything else you want to add on the uh, Lamb-Sacone race? Just that we're still waiting for 
ballots to be counted on that. At this point, is it a mathematical possibility that Saccone could win? Like, are there even enough ballots to... There are not enough uncounted ballots to overturn this election result. Okay. There's, as of yesterday, there were roughly 400 uncounted ballots uh, that counties had reported. Um, Connor Lamb has won by, or at least he has a lead of over 600. So presumably roughly half of those ballots, uh, the uncounted ballots, will go to Lamb. Okay. So it will change the result, but the, 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 the change may be minute. Okay. All right. So, good to know. Um, so anything else you want to add on that race? Anything else people know? Um, just, I guess, one point is that turnout was uh, strong for mm. a special election, and uh, Allegheny County, the most Democratic county of the four in the district, had turnout of roughly 48%. That was it is huge. It's better than the forty, roughly forty three, forty four percent that the other counties reported, and uh, the individual precincts where there was the highest turnout was above sixty percent. In the presidential election, uh, that's pretty good. And in, in, in the highest districts, the highest voting districts in that congressional district had over eighty percent turnout in the Trump Clinton election, mm-hmm. just for comparison purposes. Yeah. And now special elections, I know, can always be kind of funky, but it's just I think worth noting to me that like. Sometimes in like off-year elections or just like elections that don't come at the set time or something, you get like something like twenty percent turnout. Lower, yeah. Lower, that yeah. just talking to the county election directors that special elections can be you know between fifteen twenty yeah. percent turnout, which is just eye-poppingly low. But that's how it is these days. Yeah. All right, real quick, I want to talk about Micarelli. Um, so, as you said at the top of the uh, podcast, Nick Micarelli, a restraining order has been filed against him by Tara Tuhill. Um, now, coming out of this, and I mean, you probably read these stories as well, and I was talking to people from both of, like, all their lawyers and things. Both of them called this a win, this restraining order that they uh, that they got. Uh, That's right. Tuhill, um, well, Tuhill people are like, we got everything we asked for. Three-year restraining order, that's the maximum under Pennsylvania law. He can't have any weapons unless he's on National Guard duty. Uh, he has to go through, this isn't really per the restraining order, but the House has also put in measures where he has to go through the, the um, he can't use the parking garage, he has to go through metal detectors when he comes into the Capitol. So they were like, this is good for us. Um, Micarelli's people said, yeah, he's allowed back at work. The gun thing's no big deal. The three years is no big deal. How do you... I think her words were, uh, I I feel safer. We are safer now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how do you... Do you feel like it's just both sides trying to be like, all right, well, we all won? You know, um, for her, it it feels like it's personal to her. For him, um, he's, he's running again. He just got married. He's got a lot on the line. He wants to get reelected. Um, the primary is in two months. So there's a lot on the line professionally for him and uh, the outcome, and personally as well, mm. given that he was just married. Um, but it is, it is the talk of the Capitol right now. Yeah. It is something that everyone's watching. Um, his, Nick Micarelli's leadership, the Republican leaders in the House, have asked him to resign. Is that right? Yes, they have. Governor Tom Wolf, the Democrat, has asked him to resign. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things, um, the leadership, the Republicans have done their own internal investigation on this, and now they haven't released the results of that investigation publicly, but they did forward it to the Dauphin County District Attorney, which you know, he's doing his own investigation. And that that review that they did, the internal review, um, the lawyers on both sides who were involved, they 
they were all given sort of a rundown of what the review said. And now two Hills lawyers say that essentially what that said was that they found the allegations credible. That the House found the allegations credible. Miccarelli's lawyers say, no, that's not true. Um, so it, it's difficult to know exactly what the big information they all got, but uh, obviously the different investigations are going forward and House leaders are still asking Miccarelli to resign. So I don't want to draw any you know, clear conclusions from any of that about people's guilt. But There is a second accuser, and there is as a you second mentioned, accuser. I think, before. Yeah. Um, and this is a woman who's anonymous, uh, and she, you know, works in Harrisburg, sometimes in the Capitol, and uh, is also accusing Micarelli of, you know, drugging and raping her, essentially, and Tara Twohill's accusing him of threatening to kill her. So these are very serious allegations, which he's denied completely. But uh, And I believe they go back to instance in the 2012-2013 time period. Some, yeah, between 2012 and like 2014 in some cases, I think. And that was when and he had consensual relationships at some point with both of these women. But both of them say they turned, you know, non-consensual at times and became abuse. So anyway, that's sort of the the, um, <laughs> the landscape on that, and we're still learning more about it. I think more is going to come out as these investigations continue, um, and certainly as like he gears up to run for re-election. Um, but I do want to just kind of make this point that, Mark, can you think of any time a sitting member of the House has had a restraining order against another sitting member? No, it's extraordinary. I can't think of uh, any any other... Yeah. Any other occurrence like this? Um, and that's what people say. I mean, some time, yeah. People say it's probably unprecedented. Nobody knows to like check records for this because I don't know how many records there would be. But like, nobody knows of a, a, an occasion like this in the past. So I mean, it does. It calls up some really interesting questions of like, you know, now they have to be in the building together. He's allowed back at work because he has to vote and things like that. They're going to be on the floor together. I mean, I think. Perhaps some parallel maybe is when in the 1990s when you had state Supreme Court justices accusing each other of threatening them, of threatening each other. Well, there's you know, an incident where like one justice tried to run over another one in his car. Allegedly, right. Allegedly. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking yeah, of is yeah. that that's the that's that's what comes to mind yeah. for me. Well, if any Supreme Court justices are listening, don't do that again. Um I guess it's hard to know what to say about this because it's one of those cases where there's just a lot we don't know, and I'm sure there's more that's going to come out. But I think a good place to leave it is people are investigating and taking the allegations very seriously. Yeah, and it's being watched very closely in the Capitol, no question. Absolutely. Uh, anything else you're, you were watching this week that came up? Anything you are uh, got your eye on in the future? You know, the elections are um, just extraordinarily uh, busy right now, um, so... On Tuesday, it, that is the deadline for congressional candidates to file to run in the primary. In the new districts, we're waiting for the U.S. Supreme Court and, and the federal, a lower federal court to rule on Republican requests to block the new districts. Yes. So it's we've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and wondering, you know, what's going to happen. So there's, there's a lot hanging in the balance. And under the new map of districts that the state Supreme Court enforced uh, last month in February, there's a lot more competitive districts now yeah. um, than, than the ones that Republicans have been um, getting elected to, 13 out of 18 in the past three elections. So 
um, you know, it's going to be an extremely uh, interesting year in politics. Yeah, I think that's a good place to leave it. Um, we'll be back. Hopefully we'll have some updates on that uh, redistricting debacle in the next week, maybe. Hopefully today. Hopefully today. You think today? Sooner is better than later. <laughs> Hopefully not this weekend. I have plans. All right, Mark, thank you. Thank you Appreciate very much. It. And we will be back next week.